Hello and welcome to another episode of the AZSports.com College Basketball Talk Podcast. It is Wednesday morning. I have my son down for a nap, which means that I can invite on our special guest today. It's uh, the man that discovered Carly Ray Jepsen, ESPN.com's Jeff Borzello. Jeff, what's going on, bro? Man, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, you did. You did. You I, definitely yeah, discovered I, her. Back when she was my ringtone, my voicemail for like a year, that was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> but like people would call me and then text me and be like, I think I, I think I called the wrong number. Sorry. Yeah, was like, hold it was, on. It was so random explain, explain that story for people that don't know. All right. So like the Carly Rae Jepsen song. Um, call me maybe. Yeah. I, I guess I, I tweeted about it before it blew up. And then... It was like it, in February. Yeah, and like the song, up, the and song like, this is the song of the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, this was back when I was like on point with my songs of the summer. But anyway, um, and then like this radio producer I knew, like she was in studio, you know, doing whatever people do in studio. And he's like, hey, you know, I know these two guys. They're huge fans of you. Can you record voicemails for them? It was me and Kendall Marshall. Right. And so like I get out of the blue one day, this guy sends me an email he was like, dude, open up this file. And it's her singing Call Me Maybe with my name in it. And so, I mean, obviously, if you get that, you're going to make it your voicemail. You well, know. How many people did you just ignore their call so they could listen to your voicemail of Carly Rae Jepsen singing to you? Every single phone call. I mean, I do that now. I don't answer phone calls. But, um, yeah, this was it was like it was awesome, except, yeah, there was people that would be like, dude, I think I got the wrong number. There was this random girl singing on your voicemail. I was like, yeah, that's Carly Rae Jepsen. Like, what? Obviously, that's Carly Rae Jepsen. So, yeah, that was. Uh, I guess that is my sort of claim to fame right now. I got nothing. I got nothing else to hang my hat on. So. Yeah, you really don't. That's it. Keep living in the past, like Chelsea. Oh, bro. <laughs> yeah, I had to get that one in there. That is, that's me like that. So we had to record this early because you have a, a salon appointment today. Well, it's not is a salon what? appointment. It's an appointment with my hairstylist and. I used to go to all right. So quick background on on my hair. All right. So I used to go to like barbers, like any normal guy would. Right. And then when I went to Delaware for college, like I feel like I wasn't I wasn't gonna trust barbers down there. I just you know it was like I don't know they're gonna mess up my hair. And this is back when I just I thought I had like regular civilian hair. <laughs> and so I was going to like generic salons, like just like the chain salons, because I knew like there was a pretty high floor with that. There wasn't a really high ceiling for what they could do, but. They weren't gonna mess up my hair, and and then um, back when I like grew my hair out, like what was it four years? Remember when I grew my hair like insanely long? Yeah, dude, it was really weird. I don't know why you did that. It was super weird, but that's when I started realizing like I have awesome hair, and so I was like, I need a haircut. I can't just go to like a regular person, and so my girlfriend was like, Oh, I know this girl. You know, uh, she's I, I know people that have got her their haircut. It's great. So I went there took like an hour and a half, two hours, and it was, came out awesome. And then she left that salon, so now she either comes to my house or I go to her house. And, like, it's a big thing. It takes, like, an hour. It's, like, it's like a, it's a thing. Like, I'm not going to go to a barber like some, like, random dude. Like, I need, I need like, one-on-one care that takes more than, like, 10 minutes and $8. Like, you know, when you have hair like me, that's what's going to happen. Well, you got to have your barber. That's the thing. You can't just trust any barber. Well, I don't go to barbers. Well, I'm just so saying, I'm just my, saying most normal men, stylist. most normal men. But here's the thing I'll give you. So the apartment building that I used to live in had a salon in the basement. And that's where my wife used to always go to get her nails done. And I used to that go down there with building her. building with, um, with like, 
um, where you live with Troy? No, no, no. The one, uh, the one that I live with, uh, with Gabrielle. Okay. The one, that, the one that you stayed at last year. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So the um, we can talk about that later. <laughs> so the uh, the basement. There was like a salon in the basement. So anytime she would go down there to get her like nails done or whatever, like I would go down there and get a haircut at the same time. Simply because, like, when you go to a salon, they, like, give you, like, that head massage and they wash your Well, that's the thing. Hair. All right. See, that was another thing that I liked about going to be, like, even, like, before college, I would always go to barbers. Like, it would be done. Like, whatever. In and out. Ten minutes. Then these, like, salon, like, they massage your head. They shampoo it. Like, I started to like that. And I was like, I can never go back to a barber. I just had to find, like, the right hairstylist to go consistently. And so that was it. Like, I mean, to me, if you go to a salon, you're not going to go back to a barber. Like, salons are just, like, better. Yeah, well, I don't know, dude. I went back to a barber. Well, you don't have you don't have glorious locks like me. Well, and also the the lady at the salon probably should not have been cutting hair for a living. She was not very good. That's what, that's what you get for going to a salon in a basement of an apartment complex. Yeah, no, I know, but it was cheap and like. Was there like any windows or it was just like? No, like it wasn't. Room? It was literally oh, it was God. like in the basement. They did have some nice mirrors and some nice TVs, though. So, so. you need, like, natural light when you're getting a haircut. you got to, like, see what you're going to look like in the real world. Yeah, no. But it, here's the thing, dude. The only reason I would go there is because it was, like, $15 for a haircut. And she would massage my head for, like, 10 minutes. Because my wife was friends with them. So, like, I would go sit down, and I knew I had, like, 45 minutes to kill. And haircuts there take, like, 15 minutes. So she would just sit there and, like, give the nice little scalp massage while she washed her hair and shampooed it. It was great. I See, loved it. $15 in 15 minutes, that's not going to cut it. That's, I, like the, that's not going to cut it for me. I probably would have gone there and spent $15 just to like be get like, the head hey, massage? Yeah, give me 30 minutes of a head massage. I'll give you $20 and boom. There you go. Transaction done. You don't even need to get the clippers out. So what's this, um, new, what's this new haircut you got called again? You got the soccer player one, right? <laughs> All right. The proper name is a disconnected undercut. The Macklemore? It's not a Macklemore. Macklemore's got, like, he goes, like, super, super short on the sides. Um, it's, I mean, it's what it is. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's just sort of like an updated version of what I was doing. It's just like a little more, a little more stylish. And I feel like. It's the Macklemore. While, while I still have the hair I have, might as well try to make it the best I can. Like, in 15 years, it'll, I will have, like, no hair. So I'm not going to have a sweet haircut then. You know what it is? It's the white guy version of the high top fade. That's what you have. What? It's it's fair, right? No, it's not fair. Shaved on the back, real poofy on the top. No. Go look at like like a Google image search of like, I don't know. You go look at Beckham. He's done the disconnected undercut. I like I, I like his hair better than like Macklemore's hair. Beckham really does have great hair. But when I showed up at my high school reunion with this hair, got some I got some compliments. So it's all worth it. <laughs> You're one guy that always fishes for compliments. I will give you that. That's it. That's basically what my life revolves around. All right. So that's probably enough banter about nonsense. I'm sure people want to hear your – I don't know if they actually want to hear your insights on college basketball. but We're going to give them to you anyway. So you were at the Jimmy V last night, right? I was at the Jimmy V last night. It was – the games weren't as good as I thought they would be. I thought they would be uh, a little bit more exciting. But – I did think we, we learned some things that Kevin Alley probably shouldn't punch stat tables and knock over papers. Yeah, we learned it's not a good idea to throw papers onto the court when your team is down three with two minutes left. Yeah, I mean, like, at that point, once they hit the three, I was like, okay, like, this is going to be a game. And then suddenly it's like six points, and, like, it's just 
you could feel like the just the life come out of the building. Like yeah. they, it was because I mean MSG was like UConn's like I guess third home back when they were in the Big East because they had two home courts. But like so after they hit the three, it cut the lead to three. Place was buzzing. Then the technical and just like and like Ali said, he's like, you know, Melo was going to the line anyway. Like I don't think it made a difference. It was only one point. But like Turgeon was like, you know, what it did, it just sort of it settled things down and it just it really killed the it stemmed the tide for them. And I think that was what really happened. I mean, I don't think it was the one point that made a difference. It was just like, you know, UConn had all the momentum, and then suddenly for two minutes it was just Maryland with the foul line. And then UConn, I think, scored two points the rest of the game. It's I think UConn, like, I think they're super talented, but they get in these holes game after game. And I, I just th- I think they need Jalen Adams on the court more. Because um, he's, to me, he's like the only guy, only guard on the team that's passed first that's willing to sort of create and run an offense. I think the rest of them, and I love Daniel Hamilton. He's just not a pure, you know, ball handler guy. I think Rodney Paris is shoot first. I think Sterling Gibbs is score first. So I think that they need Jalen Adams on the court, you know, from the start. And I think that would probably help them get out of these 20-point deficits, these 14-point deficits that they get into every game. Yeah, it's really weird how they just keep digging these holes for themselves. If they showed up to play the way they do in the last 10 minutes of games, like they'd be undefeated at this point. Because they're really right. good. And like, I, and I, it's 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 hard to sort of like pinpoint what they do wrong. It's just, I mean, they're they're suddenly they're, they're, their shots never fall. They don't guard anybody. And then like after about ten minutes, like all right, well, we'll start playing. But it's just, it's not like they they're going out there and and you know not. I it's like it's really hard to sort of pinpoint what they do wrong in those first however many minutes when they get in the deficit. Because it's like they do everything wrong. They're just yeah. not. They, they just they just play badly. Sometimes you just play badly. I think if they figure that out, I mean, they're going to make the tournament just because they're, I think two teams from that league are going to make the tournament and they're going to be one of them. But so they're going to end up with a pretty gaudy record, I think. But, you know, I, I and, and then and the bad part is that they could probably get in these deficits against some of the AAC teams and it'll be fine. But when they play against the Maryland or Gonzaga or whoever, that's not going to work. Yeah, you're not coming back on those guys. The one interesting thing I did find about the the technical foul on Kevin Ollie was that in the post game press conference he was basically like, "Yeah, I thought it was a foul." Yeah, I just didn't think they should call it that time. So what are you arguing about? If you thought it was a foul, why are you freaking out? They yeah, made- he also he like he, he he explained what he did as like, "Oh, I hit the table, my hand caught some papers." Like if you look at the the vine or the replay or whatever, like he clearly like sweeps his hand <laughs> to like get these papers on the court. Like it doesn't seem like it was accidental at all. No, it does not at all. I, and I don't know, man, that was just, I don't know if that was the dumbest technical I've ever seen in my entire life. But but it, was, uh, it was one of the worst time technicals I've seen. And like, why are you, what do you think is going to happen when you throw papers on the court? The best yeah. part about it is, like, in the background, you see the other coaches on the staff just kind of like, no, no, no. Yeah, oh, like, oh. And he did it. Yeah, yeah. he did it. What would you think of Maryland? Um, I was most impressed with Diamond Stone because uh, he hasn't played – he hasn't looked consistently good all year. And I think, you know, people were saying, okay, he can't play at the same time as Robert Carter. You know, they need Lehman at the four. But last night, and I think part of it was the fact that UConn is a smaller team um, – you know, they're basically guarding him with Sean Miller, you know, who's good, but Diamond Stone's bigger and, and better. Um, and he just dominated early. I think he only ended up playing like 22 minutes, 23 minutes, but it was his best game of the season by far. 
Um, he's sort of showing that touch that he had in high school. And, you know, I think they're going to, the only problem is him and Robert Carter, they sort of end up, you know, doing the same things. And so I don't, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to play them consistently together for 25, 30 minutes. And, you know, I, I think until Maryland figures that out or figures out their best lineup, their best five, I, I think they're not going to be hitting their ceiling. I, I think they have maybe the highest ceiling or the second highest ceiling in the country. And I, if I had to pick a, you know, a national champion, it would probably be them or UNC. Um, but I, I still think that they're still sort of figuring things out and trying to find that, you know, identity um, for 40 minutes. I think you hit the nail on the head saying that Diamond Stone and Robert Carter kind of play the same position. It, yeah. It, like, heading into the season, the thought was kind of like, all right, Robert Carter is going to be the low post guy and Diamond Stone is going to be the dude kind of playing, like, I don't know if a stretch right. four. I, yeah, I thought there'd be, like, two, like, real matchup problems and you had Lehman at the three. I was like, oh, my God, there's, there's so many, like, they're going to create issues everywhere. But it's just been, like, they're creating issues for each other. Like, their own, their, you know, their, their own team. Just because... You know, they don't have any – so, like, Lehman, for long stretches, was sort of just standing in the corner yesterday. He doesn't – like, I, I can't figure out what his role is on that team. Right. And he never he never seems like he has any confidence. He seems like, like a dude that gets overshadowed by the moment. Yeah, I mean, he had, like, open threes, and he would, like, pump fake and take one dribble, and it was suddenly, like, off balance. And, you know, like, yeah, I think – I don't think he made a three yesterday. And, like, I just – I think in order for Maryland to be great, Lehman needs to be great. Lehman – he – and I don't know – where what role he's going to play where he could do that um so i i think like they still have a lot of kinks to work out i mean they're really good obviously i mean they beat uconn by 10 they 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 were they stayed in the game with unc when unc just wasn't missing so i, I mean i think that they're fine i think they're you know final four candidate and all that but i think they have a lot of kinks to work out and, and they may, may have more kinks to work out than any other you know potentially elite team yeah but you know what they do have mellow tremble oh my god He's so good. Like he's and 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 all the stuff that he was doing last year with you know the pick and rolls and you know the change direction. It works a lot better when you have Diamond Stone and Robert Carter catching the ball or stepping out and making shots. So you know, however good he was last year, he's he's that much better now because he has better guys around him that can catch the ball and make shots. Yeah, he's so good at coming off those ball screens, man. And and, he and he's also, not like insanely quick. It's just he you know his like stop, you know his stop start and his change of speeds. It's just. He just constantly keeps guys off balance. Yeah, he's never going to reach that crazy top speed that like a guy like Russell Westbrook will. But he understands like how to get people off balance, how to read the way to a defender is going. Like he's going to break a lot of ankles. What he did to Nate Britt is going to happen a lot this year. And I, I think that Suleiman's like sort of flying under the radar a little bit. I know he had that one really good game against UNC, and he's you know he played well earlier back in November. But you know he's sort of just doing the little things that maybe he didn't do with Duke. You know, he's sort of being a secondary ball handler. When Melo goes to the bench, he's running the point. He's he's making shots. He didn't really make him yesterday. But, you know, he's making shots. He's defending. And I don't know if, if everyone thought he would buy in to his role like this, you know, just because. He of, has. Yeah, I mean, he's bought into, like, they wanted to do the little things. They wanted to, to you know, be a, a secondary option. He's, he's so far, he's been fine with it. I mean, he played 36 minutes yesterday. And he only had eight points. But I thought he was terrific. Just as, as doing all the, the little things, defending ball handling and it takes a lot of the pressure off Mello when he can you know he could if he has to play off the ball for a possession or you know he doesn't have to guard the opponent's best guard so you know I just think that he's been Suleiman's been you know insanely important for them yeah and he also can play the point if they want to rest Mello and give him a little bit of time on the bench because Jalen Brantley's not ready no 
So, I mean, I, I mean, and Brantley, I think he got spot minutes against, I think he was on the court against UNC for like a minute. Yeah, he played one minute. Oh, yeah. Um, I think he played a few minutes yesterday. And he, you know, he can give like a, you know, a couple minutes at the end of the half. But if Melo goes down in foul trouble or, you know, whatever, you know, I think they, they'd be a lot more comfortable having Suleiman run the point for 35 minutes. And he's shown that he can do it for long stretches. And, you know, Maryland's offense doesn't really miss a beat. Um, you know, obviously it's better when Melo and Suleiman play together, but you know, the offense can stay above water if Melo goes down with foul trouble or something like that. Yeah, it can still function with him. I have yeah. a theory on that, though. So when you, when you talk to NBA scouts about guys that are kind of fringe players at the next level, basically what they look for is, you know, if you're considered to be an NBA kind of talent, like you're going to be an awesome basketball player. There's like 450 jobs in the NBA. So if people think that you might be able to play there, you're going to be awesome. What they're looking for is for guys that can fill a role. Guys that can like be a three and D player, or, or you know, someone that can kind of be that instant offense on a, a second team. And I think yeah. what people have kind of said to uh, to Suleiman was that, you know, you are not going to be a star in the NBA. Like you're not going to be Russell Westbrook. That's just not going to happen. If you want to get to the NBA, you have to prove that you're able to kind of accept a role and prove that you can do things that a coaching staff asks you to do when you're not the most talented guy on a basketball team. And that's what he's doing right now for Maryland. And I think that in the long run, that's that's probably better for his uh, his professional basketball aspirations if he can kind of buy into a role. Because that's what he's going to be if he ever makes that. I mean, yeah, I mean like, you know how many role players in the NBA? Like, all of them. Like, yeah. besides, like, the All-Stars, you know, I mean, even, like, Draymond Green was, like, a role player. He's, like, a, a super versatile, glorified, like, role player. And, um, you know, that's that's basically what, you know, 80%, 90% of the NBA is. And, you know, like you said, if, if, if coaches see or NBA scouts see that you can, you know, take you – know, at Duke, he was a guy that looked for a shot. He You know, he wanted to be a scorer. And when he went to Maryland, people say, okay, well, is he going to want to do the same thing? They are sort of already have mellow. They got all these big guys. And, I, yeah, like you said, I think he's shown that he's willing to be be a fourth option on offense, be a fifth option on offense, and just be a guy that can, that can come in, make some shots, defend. And, you know, that's – NBA is – looks. I mean, how many 3 and D guys are in the NBA? A ton. And, you know, a lot of them were what Suleiman was in college or right. going into college. And so – you know, if he can buy into that and if that's what he's going to be, I mean, I wish he was, you know, a couple inches taller, but um, yeah, I mean, I think he's got a chance. But he's got that versatility too because yeah. he can play the point if you need him to. And and so, yeah, I, I think that if he can prove this, I think he's got a better chance of getting to the next level. We talked a little bit about how Maryland doesn't have a backup point guard. Another team that seems like they have the same issue is Virginia. They really struggled in the first half against West Virginia. Like you were texting me like, wow, West Virginia is really, really good throughout yeah. the first half of that game. And then London Perantes – decided to show up for the second half, and West Virginia got run off the floor. Right. Well, I, you know, I was basically thinking, because I had only seen, like, maybe like a half of West Virginia this year um, against San Diego State, and they looked really good. You know, I expected sort of the, the sort of the same deal as last year. Like, they're going to press. If they don't force turnovers, if they don't get offensive rebounds, they're not going to score. And in the first half, like, they were awesome. You know, they were forcing turnovers. They were getting their rebounds. But they were also running really good half-court offense against – you know, what's supposed to be, the, you know, the vaunted Virginia defense, but they were spreading the court, you know, they had back cuts, they were getting wide open layups, you know, almost every possession. And I was like, oh my God, like this team is really, really good. Virginia, you know, God knows what's happening with them. And then Perandis comes out in the second half and suddenly the turnover stop and suddenly West Virginia goes back to sort of the, we can't score in the half court thing. And I think the problem with that, and, and the first half I was like, all right, they, you know, when they had Jawan Staten last year, they sort of stood around and waited for him to make a shot in the half court. And now, you know, they got all these other guys that can score. 
but I think they needed somebody like Staten last night just to sort of stop the bleeding. You right. know, they, they, they just had nobody they could go to at all. Uh, when they needed a basket in the half court, they just, you know, were sort of looking around saying, you know, who's going to score? And I think the 16-point score line is a little bit, you know, misleading. But, you know, they just – I don't know if they're going to they're gonna fall into the same sort of trap as last year. Um, but Virginia, you know, when Parentis is on the court, I think he had zero points in the first half, 13 in the second. I think that's what I tweeted yesterday. Um, but, you know, the turnovers – I think they had 11 in the first half, which was – you know, I didn't expect that at all. Um, and I think they ended up with 19 or 20. It was 19. So, yeah. And it's just, you know, when, when they could take care of the ball and sort of get the game at their tempo and when they're making shots, they didn't make a three in the first half either. Um, so when they're making shots and they get the ball at their tempo, West Virginia just, you know, they sort of had no chance. And and it's funny because, you know, I was sitting next to John Rothstein and we were watching the press at the beginning from West Virginia. It wasn't really doing much. It was sort of just, you know, a, you know, a token press. They weren't really creating a lot of turnovers in the opening minutes. And he's like, you know, I think that's it's the press doesn't really hit you until the second half when it starts to wear you down, and the opposite happened. The Virginia's defense started wearing West Virginia down. You know, that's and that's what coaches have always said. They say like by the time you get into the final five seven minutes against Virginia, you're just you don't want to play offense anymore. You don't want to play defense anymore just because they run you through four screens on offense, and then when they're defending you, you know, it's just it's a chore to score. And so, you know, they, they for the first. You know, 30 minutes, you know, might get a shot, but in the last 10 minutes, you're just not going to score against them. Yep. I think the issue, I think you hit it right on the head with uh, West Virginia. It doesn't help when Javon Carter and Daxter Miles yeah. shoot a combined, what were they, two for 17 yeah. or something like that last night. And, and Javon, Javon, Car- yeah, Javon Carter like, just sat on the bench. Really. <laughs> that was with hilarious. the yellow thing on too. I was like, oh god, like he's not coming back in. Yeah, because it was the uh, it was the behind the back pass, right? Like he had yeah. a wide open layup and tried to throw a behind the back pass, and Huggins immediately called a timeout, pulled him to the bench. I guarantee you that Huggins was like, put that warm up back on because you're done. You're not playing the rest of the game. And he sat there at the front of the bench, the only guy with the yellow warm up on on West Virginia's bench. Man, I was cracking up about that. After the game, Huggins was just like, yeah, I don't, I, I have no idea what he was thinking. <laughs> It's like, oh, that sounds about right. Oh man, I would pay good money to have been in that huddle to hear. Uh, you would have learned some new curse words if you were in that huddle. Oh yeah, I guarantee it. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about London Perantes. He's got a a knack for just like hitting big shots. It felt like every shot he hit last night, like changed the momentum of the game. I think his first three put Virginia ahead mm-hmm. uh, for the first time of the game, and just. I don't know. He's one of those dudes where it's like I, I, we've said this about Tyler Ulysses here and about Fred Van Vliet, where you don't really understand how valuable they are. Like he doesn't put up huge numbers. Right. He's not going to stand out. You know, he's not dunking on anybody. He's not breaking any ankles. But you really understand how good he is and how valuable he is when he's not on the floor. You think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, because when you watch him, you're just like, what's like, what? Why? Why can't anybody stop him? Like, what? What makes him so good? And then like. You just look down the stat line, he's got like 13, five assists, and yeah, hits big shots. And, you know, the team is just, it functions so much better when he's on the court. And I mean, they have other guys that can handle the ball and, and you know, run an offense, but he just, you know, everything is just sort of so calm when he's sort of in control of the game. It's just everything that Virginia wants to do gets done when he's on the court. And you know, I hate the, you know, the, he's an extension of the coach and all that, but that he basically is. I mean, he's, you know, if, if Tony Bennett was running, point guard for Virginia, he would be London Prentice. It's just, you know, everything is just, you know, exactly what Virginia wants to do happens when Prentice is on the court. And that just, you know, like you said, that happens with Euless. It happens with a lot of, like, a lot of the, these other, you know, quote-unquote deceptively good point guards or whatever. Um, it's just, you know, he hits big shots. He's a winner. And he's always been like that. And it's, it's 
you know, it's, oh, can you win a national championship with London Prentice as your point guard? Yeah. I mean, and I think we saw that yesterday, just how good Virginia is when he's on his game. Now, do you think it's a function of how good he is, or do you think there's an issue with just, like, there's no backup point guard on this Virginia team, or a combination of both? I think it's a little, a little bit of both. I mean, Devin Hall gave some good minutes yesterday. Obviously, he's not going to be counted on for 40 minutes of anything. But I, I think – I don't know. I mean, in terms of talent, is he super talented or more talented than anybody else Virginia has? No. I just think that he, he's he been in the system for a couple of years now. And I think that experience sort of sets him apart from anybody else on their roster in terms of guys that can, that can run the point. I mean, Darius Thompson – you know, if he wants to be a second, he's a secondary ball and he's fine. Brogdon can play the point. Uh, but, you know, it's just, I feel like the roles are so much more consistent and, you know, everything's just allocated better. The spacing's better. Um, you know, people get their shots in better spots when he's on the court. And I think that, you know, I think it's a it's a combination of, of how well he knows the system and it's his experience. I mean, he's been done this for three years now. You know, I think, you know, a system like Virginia is just going to be better when you have guys who have done it before. When you saw him in high school, did you think he was going to be this good? No. And um, I actually think Sean Farnham coached him uh, in, yeah, high, he did. in AAU. Um, and I know like West Coast guys liked him in the in the summer before his senior year. None of the West Coast schools were really involved. I think Arizona State might have shown Wasn't some interest. Washington but, State, didn't they all? Yeah. I mean, it was like a couple of schools. You know, none of the UCLA didn't want him or any, anything like that. And then, you know, Tony and, – and here's the thing about Tony Bennett is that – and because I've, I've looked at this a couple of times, he sort of – he A, he balances his classes really well. You know, he, he'll get like, you know, one freshman, then he'll have a big class. and But he also identifies who he wants, and he gets it done really quickly. Uh, you know, he doesn't have these drawn-out recruitments that take, you know, two years or anything like that. Like Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, guys he has coming in next year, he got them done early. Malcolm Brogdon, he broke out in July before his senior year. And he was committed to Virginia by September. So I, I think that Tony Bennett does a really good – and same thing with Parentis. I mean, these weren't drawn-out things. I think he identifies who he wants, and he says, all right, you know, let's get him done quick. And if he doesn't, we'll move on. And, you know, he, he doesn't – you never see Virginia really waiting until, you know, April, May after the season to find – to fill out the roster. I mean, maybe they'll get a couple guys. They'll get a transfer or something like that. But it just doesn't happen where they're sitting, you know – with their hands tied with three scholarships left and, and, you know, they can't fill the, the spots. You know, he, he, I think he does a really good job and he'll, he'll go for anybody that fits his system. I don't think he cares about, you know, what anybody else thinks. If, you know, he saw Parentis, thought he could fit his system pretty well and he, he got him. Memphis fans know all about those transfers Virginia gets, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, Virginia's going to be really good next year, man. Like they have a really good recruiting class. They got Jaquita uh, sitting out. They got Nichols sitting out. You know, they're going to have, like, and, but, you know, again, you know, is this new influx of really talented guys going to change the way Virginia plays? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And so when you combine this system with, you know, talent that's on par with, you know, most other teams in the country, I think they're going to be, they're going to be dangerous. I mean, obviously Duke and Kentucky are going to be the favorites next year, but I think Virginia's going to be really, really good. The big thing is getting Nichols because I think Nichols is a guy that can kind of defend the same way that Darian Atkins did. Like the biggest loss they have is Atkins. Everyone wants to talk about Justin Anderson, but losing Atkins 
he, he was a guy like the little things that you don't really notice, like how well he hedged on ball screens and, you know, how, how well he uh, bumped curlers and, and made sure that guys couldn't come off down screens and, you know, go straight to the rim. He blocked shots. He was a rim protector. He could switch onto a point guard if he needed him to. Like he was so good at doing those little things defensively. And now they have, you know, I mean, but Jack- I think, I think Isaiah Wilkins and, and I know we talked about this last night, but I think he's uh, going to be, not not Darren Atkins, but I think defensively, he's pretty solid. I think he had four steals last night. I think he had four steals the game before. Um, you know, he's not going to be Darren Atkins, but I think that you know he could fill that role better than anyone else on their roster. I think that um, you know he impressed me last night on the defensive end, and I think he scored a little bit. Um, I just think he fits what they do better than you know Jack Salt does. Yeah, and, and Mike Toby too. Like Toby's a great yeah, scorer yeah, on the block. The, the team just functioned a lot better yesterday when Toby and Salt were on the bench, and Gill and and uh, Wilkins were in the game. I mean, uh, that can happen every game. I don't know. I mean, they play Villanova next, so that'll be fun to watch. But um, I think he could be sort of a guy that's not a glue guy, but you know, a guy that comes in and gets some blocks, gets some steals, gets some buckets, and you know, plays 18, 20 minutes a game. All right, I want to circle back again. We talked a little bit about London Perantes being a freshman that surprised you. You cover recruiting for ESPN. Thanks, uh, I know you just uh, knocked out a, a, a like a column on top 10 freshmen that kind of surprised you a little bit. So uh, talk to me about some of the guys that you didn't really expect this kind of performance from this season. Well, one of the biggest ones, and you know, he's had a couple of down games since I wrote it, but Tyler Lydon um, at Syracuse has been really impressive just because – when I saw him, I think it was as a junior, uh, during his junior season, I was like, oh, man, he's got to get tougher. He's kind of soft. He needs to get stronger. You know, what's he going to play at, you know, at the next level? And he started, as a senior, he started getting a little stronger. I'm like, all right, you know, he could be a, you know, a mat- matchup problem. is maybe a, a three or a stretch four. And he's basically playing the five for yeah, Syracuse. He and he's been, you know, I think he's been, you know, maybe not the most important offensive player, but he's been, you know, just really key to what they're doing. Um, you know, he's spreading the floor. He's making shots. When I wrote it, he was shooting like 60% from three. Um, I'm guessing that's gone down. But um, it, so he surprised me a little. I, di- I didn't know he had the the toughness and that physicality to play. I know it's a 2-3 zone. He's not playing man-to-man. But still, you know, play the five for Syracuse. You have to, to be, you know, physical. And he's he's really done that. He's developed a lot in the last two years. So he's really stood out to me. Um, Edmund Sumner at Xavier. I know you like him. Love him. Um, you know, his, and I think a lot of this comes from, uh, you know, just his, his growth as, you know, in terms of his physical stature, he's like six, six now he's up 25 pounds from high school. I uh, registered last year, but you know, he was like a back end top hundred kid in the 2014 class, but he's, you know, he's explosive, uh, in the open court. Um, and I, I you know, Xavier is a, a borderline top 10 team, maybe a top 10 team all year long. And I think he's really been, the key for them just in terms of everything they do. I think he's, he's terrific. So if I had to pinpoint two guys, it'd be Lydon and, and Edmund Sumner, but there's a couple others. I mean, Marquise Chris, I know, I know you college guys like to think you found him, discovered him, but uh, you know, he was like, a, don't lump like me in with Goodman everywhere. Man. Don't lump me in with him. Yeah. I'm lumping you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but everyone said he had a super high ceiling. I think we're starting to see that, um, you know, Dewante Murray, his teammates been great, but Tyler Dorsey has also been really good. Um, he, nobody ever questioned his talent, but you know, could he be a point guard? Could he be a distributor? Could he be a, you know, not saying he's passed first, but you know, I think Dan Altman really needed an immediate impact from him, especially with Dylan Ennis out. And, you know, I think he's really come through, especially and, and 
when I wrote it, he was leading Oregon in scoring, assists, three-point shooting. So I think that he answered a lot of the questions, a lot of the doubts um, that people had about him. Yeah, no one ever questioned whether or not Tyler Dorsey was going to be okay with getting up like 15 shots a game. Right. I decided I didn't I didn't expect him to be getting three assists or whatever he's getting averaging per game, and that's obviously probably going to go down when Dylan Ennis comes back. But you know, so far I think Dorsey's been really good. Yeah, and it'll be better for them when Dylan uh, blah, blah, Dylan Ennis comes back because it kind of gives them another guy that can do those same kind of things. And I think that Ennis is a better defender than Tyler Dorsey is. Yeah, I mean, and then you know Casey Benson. You know, I like the guy, but they're obviously just going to be more dangerous and more dynamic if you have an Ennis, Cook, Brooks, Dorsey, Boucher front uh, starting line. Boucher? Yeah, that's what I'm going with, yeah. Boucher, Bobby Boucher. Yeah. Talk to so, me a little bit about Scal. Scal has been kind of a disappointment this season. You know, he doesn't really have that kind of that toughness. I, the other day I called it, he doesn't have an mf or in him, and – I don't know if you can kind of teach a kid that. I don't know if they learn it. You kind of have to have it, right? Yeah, and I I think that I, I knew that he would be not the best freshman in the country. You know, he's got crazy talent. He's going to be a good player. But I didn't expect him to get, you know, sort of pushed around like this. I mean, Thomas Welsh just can like, they, he pushed him around. And Thomas Welsh isn't like the biggest dude in the world. And he just got positioned whenever he wanted. Sal couldn't do anything. Um and you sort of look at the look at the the game log for Scal because I did this the other day, and he's done nothing against good teams. All his all his his productions come against bad teams. And you can you could throw Illinois State in the good team, you know, mix. He had like two points against them, seven points against Duke, six against UCLA. And these are the teams that that Kentucky's going to play every night in the SEC. And is can he stand up to you know any? Like, is he going to guard Damian Jones? Like I, I, that's that's. He couldn't guard like, Marshall Plumley. Marshall right. Plumley, four straight possessions, got an offensive rebound and a putback against him at the Champions Classic. Right, and and you know what makes Scal so intriguing, and and why everyone liked him in high school, and um, you could, you know, obviously group me in with people that liked him. Like he's got good touch, um, you know, he's a good shot blocker, all this, but he's just he's out of position on rebounds. His defensive rebounding's been horrible. Uh, you know, his block shot number looks looks pretty good, but if he doesn't block the shot, he's just out of position. He hasn't taken a three-pointer yet. So, like, everything that made him intriguing at the high school level, he just hasn't done, and he's getting pushed around, um, you know, pretty much every possession by any remotely good big guy. And he doesn't so, look like he was coached when he was in high school. Like, he looks like one of those dudes that spent his entire high school career. Look where he played his senior year. <laughs> reach your dream prep. You're talking right. you didn't um, have great so, coaching. So you talk about not being coached. That, <laughs> that, that sort of sums it up. It's kind of false advertising then. But like, I mean, people are saying, can he really be a one and done guy? Yeah, he'll be a one and done guy. He'll still be a top five, three pick or whatever. But I think the gap between, you know, going to the year was like, all right, who's going to be the number one pick? It's going to be Simmons. It's going to be Scal. I think the gap between those two is just, is grown into a canyon. I don't you even know, know if Scal is going to be the number two pick anymore. I don't, well, I, I mean, I've talked to some people, and they're like, you know, what about Brandon Ingram? And Brandon Ingram got, got off to a slow start, but you, know, you look at his skill set, and you, know, it's like you talk about guys that are, you know, sort of skinny and, and need some development. You know, he, you could group him in with that, but, you know, he's 6'9", 6'10", super long, can make shots at all three levels. You know, I, I think that he's got, he's got a better chance of, of breaking into the Ben Simmons number one conversation than Scal does. Yeah, because my thing is what Scal needs to work on is not something that you can develop. Like I think that Brandon Ingram, once he gets stronger, is yeah. going to be a guy that's a little – like the biggest thing for him is just he's not ready for the physicality of the college game. And that's what happens when you're like six foot nine and 170 pounds. Right. 
and you have to play the wing. Like people can get up in him and push him around a little bit. And I think that he'll push people back. Like I think that he's a little tougher than Scal. Scal just looks like he doesn't want to be out there sometimes, dude. And I almost kind of feel bad for him. Like, what did you see the clip when Tyler Eulis came up and gave him that two yeah, shove? Yeah, shove. Yeah. Like I, I, I felt bad for Scal because it kind of looked like he wanted to cry afterwards. Like I don't know, man. Like he needs. I, I don't. I don't even know what he needs because I don't know if you can kind of develop that in somebody. I think you just kind of are that kind of tough dude, or you aren't that kind of tough. Well, dude. I think he needs. I think he. I think part of it he needs to sort of get it going against a good team. You know, you can you can point to you know, however many points you scored against NJIT, but like I think he needs some confidence. And you know, even even in high school when he was making shots from the perimeter and he was blocking shots and getting rebounds and running the court, like you know, he was he was having fun. And now he's just not because he's not playing well. And so I think you know, I think a lot of freshmen would go through that. You come in with all this hype, especially when you're at Kentucky, and you're not playing well, and everyone's against you. You know, I think you sort of get in your own head a little bit, and I think that could be what's happening here. Um, you know, I'm not going to write him off uh, just because of his talent, but you know, I think that um, you know, I think confidence and mental toughness is is just as important with him right now. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Confidence is something that he does not have. At you can just all look right at it; like, he doesn't. He just looks sort of, you know, not like he's coasting through games, but he's just like, you know, I got to do something to get my confidence back, and then he just doesn't do it. Like he, and then like Thomas Walsh will come and push him around, and Tyler Ewell will, you know, get in his face. So. It's just like things are piling up for him right now. And, um, you know, I don't think he knows how to get out from under it. All right. The last guy I want to talk to you about is the guy that's playing center for uh, Michigan State at this point in the season, Deontay Davis. He was like, he was kind of a nobody. And then he committed to Michigan State, and then everybody saw him, and then he kind of blew up as a junior, right? Do I, yeah. do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, I saw him for the first time in April of his junior year, and he was awesome. It was like an EYBL event and I was like oh my god who is this kid and you know talking to coaches I watched him and some were like oh he's you know borderline top 50 one guy's like oh he's a stud top 10 because he was doing any like he was you know not making shots he's going off the dribble like he looked great and then I saw him as a senior you know at the all-star game workouts and stuff like that and he was just, you know he was just a guy and you know I think since getting to Michigan State he's put on some strength you know put on some some weight and you know he's 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 had a ton of talent. I didn't expect him to be basically playing the five. I thought he'd be sort of a matchup problem at the four or something like that, where he could use his, you know, shooting ability and all that. But he's playing the five. He's not really stepping out and, and knocking down threes. But he's you know he's tough inside. He's I think he had double digit rebounds last game. Um, and I you know I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to keep getting better. Um, you know, as he sort of gets more accustomed to his role and more accustomed to the the Tom Izzo way of life and, and of playing basketball. Yeah, his length is something I didn't realize yeah. that he had. Like he 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 looks big, he looks strong. He's one of these dudes with those really broad shoulders where when he goes up strong in the lane, it looks like he's about to rip the basket down. So it's fun to watch. Um, all right, so I, I think that's about all I got for you. Last thing, who give me your top five right now? Top five in the country. Teams or players? Teams. Because right, I thought you wanted to get into a Chris Dunn, Denzel Valentine, Ben Simmons debate. Oh, we can talk about that. You want to talk? No, about I, that? I don't. I, we don't have to. I'm, I I got, I'm still taking Simmons hands down, um, any day of the week. You could take Denzel Valentine all you want, but... In college or in, uh, for Anything. For if you're starting a team, give me Ben Simmons, man. Like, you realize how good he is? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I, I think Dunn's terrific. I think Denzel Valentine's terrific, but, like, come on. Ben Simmons is really, really good. Like, just watch him. He's just, like... Like, like I said, I think the gap between him and everyone else has, has sort of grown. 
Like, if you had him as the preseason player of the year, which I did, like, I don't think he could have done anything so far that's made you say, all right, he's not the best player in the country. I mean, other than lose. Other than his team losing every game. But just in terms of individual performance, I think he's just – he's like, – here's, here's my thing, though. Here's, here's my thing. Here's I've never heard you say that's, that before. That's, that's my new thing. Rothstein's yeah. got palpable buzz. I got – here's my thing. Yeah, but, it's definitely – yeah, you're the only person that says that. I know, sure. right? I own it. <laughs> Trademark it. But, yeah, anyways, I'm just concerned about the matchup stuff with him. Like, I think he's he's really good in transition. Like, I don't think there's anybody in the country – I can't remember ever seeing anybody that is as good as grabbing, uh, grabbing a defensive rebound and, and, you know, going coast to coast and either making a play or, you know, finishing with a dunk, getting the lane, getting to the foul line. And I think that he thrives off of mismatches because he can play the the five. Like, he can guard centers just about on – So you're worried about him matching up at the college level or the NBA level? No, no, no. Because, I, I, well, like, I don't think there's anybody in college that's guarding. Yeah, I don't think, I'm not sure if there's anybody in college. But my concern is that, like, when you have all these mismatches, why is he only scoring four points against NC State? Like, why can't he do what he did against North Florida? Why can't he do that against College of Charleston when they were down Well, like, all right, you were at the, the game half? against uh, Marquette. Like – he would bring the ball up, and if he passed it, he just wasn't getting it back. Like, you know, he would pass it to somebody. Blakeney would pass it to Samson, and Samson would pass it to Josh Gray, and they would just do this all game until they missed the three-pointer. And so if he's not getting the ball back, you know, what's he supposed to do? Like, at, at some point, he's got to pass the ball. But if other guys aren't making shots and they're not, you know, getting him involved, they just they, there's a lot of times where he's not getting the ball in any position where he could do anything. Yeah, and, I will give you that. I don't think that – that coaching staff really understands how to uh, how to utilize them and how to take advantage of them. Like, why don't you just run stuff to get them with the ball? What Providence done, does with Chris Dunn that I love is that they basically run this flex, flex action and get him the ball at the foul line where he, he can square up against his defender and either beat someone off the dribble or get help coming to him. And he gets in the middle of the defense and he finds people. And it's you know it's it's great to do with Chris Dunn because that's what well, he does On best. Chris Dunn, I was talking to a, a, an NBA guy about him. Actually, it was, I was talking about an NBA guy about him last year around NBA draft time. And he was like, all right, when you really look at it, what's the difference between him and Emmanuel Moutier? And like, this is when Moutier was like, you know, top three pick. And I loved him. I still, you know, I said he was gonna be the best player in the draft. So, you know, a little off of that, but, um, <laughs> but like, you know, when you, you know, obviously they have some, some different, you know, they have some different skills, but you know, it, there's Moody had all this crazy hype about him done, you know, it's not all that different. You know, he made a little bit less explosive, but, you know, when you really look at it, there's not a huge gap between those two in terms of potential or, you know, production that we've seen. I think that Dunn is probably a better defender. Like, I think that's yeah, what he's yeah. going to be. No, best I mean, there, there, there are some differences. I'm just talking about general, like, skill set, general, um, you know, neither of them are a great shooter. Both of them are sort of, you know, would, would much prefer to go to the basket. And I'm not saying that they're the same player. I just think that. You know, we had all this hype for Moutier last year, and everyone's like, oh, done. You know, he's got to come back. He's not a lottery pick. But, you know, I don't think there's a huge gap between the two. I don't, I don't know if there was last year either. It's pro- It's got to be just the age thing, right? Like, Dunn yeah, is, what, 21 years old? Moutier's 19 now? Yeah. I mean, that's uh, in two years in, in the M- NBA world is huge. But, you know, in terms of, of skills and production and all that, you know, I, I guess I think that, and because, you know, if, if Dunn had gone last year, would he have even been a lottery pick? Probably, because I assume that he would have killed it in workouts. Yeah. You know, would you have taken Chris Dunn over Cameron Payne? I guess that's probably the guy that right. would have come down to. 
And right. I think I would have taken. I love Cameron Payne, but I think but I probably would have taken. You're saying Dunn. that, like you're comparing Dunn to Cameron Payne, and like Moutier is like just in this other stratosphere when you're talking about player comparisons. Right. I just think that the gap between those two was probably closer than we thought. And I mean, I, I when when the, when it's, when the NBA guy said that to me, I was like, that sounds dumb. Like, there's a huge difference between the two. And then like now, I'm like, there's really not. Yeah, especially if it's knocking down jump shots and, and yeah. making smarter decisions. Do you think Denzel Valentine's going to be a good NBA player? Um, I think he'll be. I don't know if he's ever going to be a like a eighty game starter. You know, I think he's going to be a mid first round pick. And I think he's if he gets in the right spot, if he gets in the right system, that's not counting on him to be a you know a twenty point a game guy right away. You know, I think he could be a you know a really good role player on a winning team. That just seems like sort of what he's destined to do. Dude, he would you know? be so awesome on the Warriors. Right. Like I think, yeah, I think, I think a winning team is probably like, if he gets drafted by like a bad team, you know, and they're counting on him to put up you know 19, 20 points a game and make shots. Like I think it's gonna look. It's not know, happening. Right. But if he gets on a good team, and this is probably why he he probably prefer to get drafted later in the first round. So like, yeah, I mean, I think he's gonna be a good NBA player in the right spot. Stop putting up triple doubles then, dude. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, so let's wait. Top five teams. Hold on. All right. Hard to leave Oklahoma out after what they did. Um, I'll say Kansas. I'll say Michigan State. Like, I mean, I don't I don't know if they're a – In that order? No, no, no. I'm just I'm, – I'm trying to get my five teams, and I'll, then I'll give you an order. All right? North Carolina, I'll say, is number one. Good. I'm glad you said that. Um – uh, like Michigan State's nine and zero, and they've just you know beaten everybody. So like I, I don't know if I could drop them past two. Um, Kansas, give me them as three, and I think they're, I think there's you know, my final fourth game of the year was Maryland, UNC, Kansas, and Wichita State. We're just gonna pretend I didn't say Wichita State, but I told I, you Michigan State, man. I told you to take them. I tried to tell you. I tried to let you know. Yeah, and the one team I, I I was afraid of leaving out was Cal, and that hasn't worked out. Um, <laughs> But so yeah, I mean, I, I would, I guess, I would go to North Carolina, Michigan State, um, Kansas. Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know how good Iowa State is, and I guess we're going to find that out pretty soon. Um, I still think Maryland. I think Maryland's a top five team. Yep. And then Oklahoma. I just, you know, do I think they're, a, you know, as good of a Final Four candidate as you know Kentucky or somebody else? Maybe not. But they just they blitzed Villanova, man. Like Villanova was good. And Oklahoma just just ran them off the court, um, so that that I think that would have to be my fifth, just because of what they've done. That tw- that that stat you tweeted out about uh, about Villanova, I yeah. think they're they're number three. Nationally. Yeah, well, when I tweeted it. They were they were third in three point attempt percent, and they were like two two fiftieth. Now they're three hundred fifth. Three tenth. They're shooting twenty eight point six percent from three, and like <laughs> and they shoot and, more and, than half so their shots from three. When I said, "All right, this is his worst shooting team and his most three point reliant team." People are like, "Oh, well, this is early. It's that's a narrative, blah blah blah." Like, dude, look at his like his stats, his like his coaching resume at Nova, and like this is by far his worst shooting team. Like before this, you know, his worst shooting team was like thirty one percent. Every other team basically shot above thirty five percent, and everyone's like, "All right, live by the three, die by the three. You know, this is. He, more than 50% of their attempts are three-pointers. That's like a huge jump from any other live-by-the-three-die-by-the-three Villanova team that we've seen. And, you know, they have good shooters, and so I think they're going to they're gonna work it out. But, like, their shot selection was terrible against Oklahoma. And, like, like I mean, that, that, that game, I don't know if I was 
like I, I I thought Obama was good. I think I came away more sort of like just befuddled about Villanova than impressed by Oklahoma. Yeah, I was the same way. Although I did think Isaiah Cousins took a step forward. Like he's really good, man. Nobody talks about him, but he's yeah. really, really good. He is really, really good. He's from Mount Vernon, baby, New York. Yeah, that's why Fran Fraschillo loves him, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, that's where uh, DMX is from and the locks and all that, so that's cool. <laughs> Well, you know what? My kid just woke up, so I think that uh, Jeff Borzello dropping DMX lyrics is probably a good place to call this a podcast. Borzello, I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, Thanks for having me, man. You, what, what, what do you got coming up? You're coming to D.C. this weekend, right? I am. Well, I got a, I got a column Thursday about the 10 sort of freshmen that are still waiting their turn, the Chase Jeeters of the world. And yeah, I'm going to be in D.C. this week for some high school hoops. I'll be in Florida next week for the City of Palms Classic. So, you know, a little little busy stretch before the holidays. Yeah, this uh, it's all, it always ends up being a fun weekend when you come down here, man. I'm going to see you. you going to call me? Now you, now you, yeah, well, you got a kid now and a wife. Well, and, I mean, he's like three and a half months old now. Like, he's good. He can hold his head up. Are you going to bring yeah. him out to, to the bar? <laughs> With you, probably not, man. <laughs> Get some old bombs. Yeah, no. I don't think he's, I don't think he's about that yet. He's I don't think I can be life. about that anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. All right, man. Well, look. I got to go. He's crying. He needs some food. He probably needs a diaper change. It's kind of like living with Troy. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. And we will check in with you guys again on uh, on Wednesday as always, or on Friday. As always, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. It's the quickest way to get it to your cell phone or your tablet. Uh, thanks again for listening to us. And Jeff, give me that playlist, man. I'm working on it. Jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.